RadioInfluence.com. We are back for another edition of the MMA Report Podcast with Daniel Galvan. I am Jason Floyd. It is February 23rd, 2022. We got a jam-packed show to talk to you about what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. Take a look back at what happened last weekend. Preview this weekend's Bellator and UFC car. Got a trio of three fighter interviews, all fighters competing in the UFC. You're going to hear from two men who are coming off victories this past weekend, Jonathan Pierce and Mario Batista. Also, you're here from Dustin Jacoby, who fights come up here at UFC 272. Plus, you know, we've got our WTF stories of the week. Also, uh, you know, I, I mentioned on the podcast last week that every time there's a Bellator ranking cycle that we're going to, you know, Look into my ballot. This one, we're going to look into the welterweight division since it was on a big profile there last week at Bellator 274. But Daniel, last Friday, and I talked about this on the show last week, you know, typically Fridays are our nights that I go out, have some beers, throw some darts. Uh, that didn't happen. Actually, went on Saturday. And probably the funniest line is there was some... Uh, some fellow FSU uh, guys there as we were all watching the game and one, and and they were on the golf course earlier and clearly they were a little hammered and the guy goes you play darts for huh go, yeah I kind of play every week I'm, I'm not I'm you know I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a good dart thrower but so Friday night I'm home and I'm like you know what let me check out the PFL broadcast it was our first event of this year the Challenger series something brand new and, and I think going into it kind of the thought process was like. Hey, this is kind of like the contender series, you know, you know, young guys trying to get into the PFL, potentially get in these tournaments. And uh, look, the best way I would describe what I would I saw last Friday night was American Idol meets MMA. First off, pacing, pacing, pacing. And look, I'm going to give the PFL another shot this Friday with PFL challengers, too. But I will tell you, Daniel, as a consumer of mixed martial arts, that was a god-awful broadcast. Bro, we're an hour into the broadcast. We've had one fight. It took them three hours to get through four fights, bro. Yeah, that's insane. You know, it was a jam-packed weekend. I watched some Knuckle Mania highlights, and I watched the full main card of Bellator in one prelim fight. I watched all the UFC. I, I didn't make any time for this PFL broadcast, but I did see your text, and and. If you're telling me you had a three-hour broadcast and you only got four fights in, you had one hour, you only had one fight in, that's uh, astonishing to me. You know, that pacing on any fight card is infuriating, especially in this day and age when we are just having so much content. I mean, every single Friday night, Netflix just drops all kinds of content on their homepage. Every Friday night, there's so many sports going on. It's All-Star Weekend, etc., but it's one thing to have that type of pacing if you have like a pay-per-view event, must-see fights. You can't wait. The anticipation is building. But if you're talking about a, a fight card like PFL throughout there where it's a challenger series type of thing, I mean, you cannot afford to have your viewer wait an hour or 40 minutes for a fight because they are going to turn it off unless their name is Jason Floyd. Why did it take so long for them to get fight to fight, Jason? Like what kind of content was going on? Uh, <laughs> so, bro, first fight's a, th a 15 minute decision, a lot of grappling in it. And then they they go to like some commercial break. They come back and they start showing highlights of it. 
which we're both in the broadcast industry. That would make sense if there's a sponsor tied into it. Nope, no sponsor tied into it. It was just like filling content. And I mean, first off, it took me a while to find the FUBU Sports Network on my Samsung Smart TV. I'm in my living room. It probably took me about 10 minutes to find this channel. Like, that to me is a problem. Like, I'm the core type of person you're trying to get to your broadcast. Like, I'm in the MMA culture. I'm in the MMA community. You know, you're not getting casual sports fans to find the FUBU Sports Network on Friday night. You're just not. But, like, it's one of those things of, like, I'm sitting there and, other MMA reporters were complaining about it. Like, you know, I like watching these up and coming fighters and, and, you know, the opportunity what they have here, but like, it's one of those things, like if I'm part of the PFL management team, there's no way I look at that and go, that was a good broadcast. That was an awful broadcast. I have no idea why Ray Lewis is a part of this broadcast. If this is a football thing, totally get why having Ray Lewis in there. I think he has some financial interest in the PFL. Jeremy Piven, to me, offers nothing for me. What, what, why do I care what Jeremy Piven thinks? If this is a comedian actor reality show, okay, cool. Makes a lot of sense. Like, to me, the PFL, PFL has a great one-two punch combination of Sean O'Connell and Kenny Florian in that broadcast booth, and it's like they're an afterthought when it comes to them not calling the fights. And I just, it was one of those things. And then the other part of this is, they get towards the end and there's like this whole fan voting thing and it's very reality television-ish. If I am Ray Cepho, look, Bruce Soto, who ends up getting the nod here, he gets a, a flying knee knockout against Travis Davis. I understand him getting the contract, but if you told me I got to buy stock in one of the four winners that scored a victory last, Saturday, last Friday night, I'm buying the stock of Josh Silverio. You've recognized the last name, Conan Silverio. That's his dad. To me, Josh Silverio, if I'm buying stock in anyone, he's the guy, if I'm Ray Cepho, that I'm trying to give a contract to, I'm going to give the PFL another shot. Hopefully it's better. But if they run that same pacing, I'm done with the PFL challengers. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you've just lost me as a viewer just because of it should not take you three hours to get through four fights and, and just to fill uh, fill up content that's just it offers nothing to me as a viewer and i'm sure if the pfl is listening to this they're probably thinking i'm just you know debbie downer on them but the fact is i just hope that they look at people in the mma media that took time to watch their product that they take this this criticism and say we can do better yeah i mean simply put you should at least have a fight in the cage every 30 minutes a four-fight card should, at the most, be a two-hour uh, broadcast, unless we're talking about a five-round fight in the main event. That's how it should be done. They're just – in this day and age where time is such a scarcity, people are more aware of how little time we have in each day and how many things are competing for it. That has to be a priority. And again, when you have a product that isn't premier, the PFL Challengers is not a premier product. This is the lower level of the product that PFL offers – you, you got to put the fights on there and like the type of person that's going to like enjoy Ray Lewis and Jeremy Piven can probably get Ray Lewis and Jeremy Piven and other avenues. I think you should cater to the hardcore mixed martial arts fan on these broadcasts because these are going to be the only people who like you seek out where to watch it. And I think these broadcasts have to be catered to them because you are not reaching casual people. The barrier of entry to watch these broadcasts is just too damn difficult. So it makes no sense to use 
talent that would appeal to casuals on a product that will only exclusively be watched by hardcore fans. Now, can you explain to me this concept real quick? Because I'm not familiar. Basically, you have four fights, and there's a fan vote on who gets a deal with the PFL. Is that what it is? Yeah, two get eliminated at first. And I'm probably going to do an awful job of explaining it. But basically, they have they have the four fighters in the cage, and they basically then say these two fighters advance on to the fan vote. And, and it's like a combination fan vote. And, and the PFL people, it's just like, no. The people making that decision should be Ray Seffo and the talent development team at PFL. It should not. You do not put that in the fans' hands. Like, that's dumb. That's dumb. I'm sorry. Like, Look, if I'm yeah. running the PFL, no, no, I'm signing the fighters I want to sign. And, and it's just, it's absolutely like, I'm going to give them another shot, Daniel, because I'm going to be home this Friday night. I'm going to give them another shot. I hope it's better. But if it's the same old crap that I saw this past Friday, no way I'm watching. By the way, Saturday, I so I, I ended up going out Saturday. So I, I took in the UFC and Bellator cards after the fact. I'm just going to get in my WTF story of the week, Daniel. I know you got one, and there's probably another one we could throw out there, too. <laughs> anyway, to watch Ariel Hawani show this week. You probably know what that is. Yeah. My WTF goes out to Aviv Gozali. For people who do not see this fight, Aviv Gozali absolutely gets pieced up in the first round of the feet. Now, we all know he's a tremendous grappler, absolutely tremendous grappler. And, you know, he had to pull guard in this fight. And uh, Bobby uh, King... Don't get confused with Bobby Green. Bobby King absolutely just pieces him apart on the feet. He goes back to, so he, he makes it somehow out of the first round. Like the referee could easily stop this fight. I forget, maybe it was Big Dan was the referee. It was, or maybe it might have been um, Kevin McDonald was the fight. Kevin McDonald just rocking that Fu Manchu, by the way, if you didn't see that one. And so he goes back to the corner, and his Aviv's head corner is his father, Haim Ghazali. And he's literally. Like, would you say laying over him is about the best way to put it as Aviv is like barely able to stand? Would that be, yes, a, that, I, would that be a good way to describe it? I think so. Absolutely. And so, you know, whatnot. And you just like you, Daniel, you see the look in Aviv's eyes. It is, he's done. He's done. Now, we've learned after the fact that he has a broken ankle and apparently a torn ACL as well. This is not, you know, I, I could sit there and say the WGF goes out to his father, not throwing the towel in. But you know what? It's the MMA culture, and a corner's not going to throw in the towel in the fighter, unless their name is Trevor Whitman. That's about the only person that's going to do it. Or 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 uh, Nick Diaz will do it on his brother back in the day against Josh Thompson. My WTF goes to Aviv Gozali for trying to pretend to the doctor, Dr. Alessi, that he doesn't know how to speak English. Yeah, it's it's astonishing, and Big John McCarthy picked up on it on commentary, and he completely exposed Aviv right away. He's like, I talked to him before the show, and he spoke English, but it's like it, it's crazy. What is this? was? You think it was like a stalling tactic? Oh, oh, to get I think more it, time. It's no question. And look, and Doctor Alessi is trying to get a translator, which I'm like, bro, he speaks English. I did an interview with him. Like, he speaks English. He understands English. It was totally, he was trying to buy time. And then Mike Mazzoli gets up on the on the, um, on the the staging and go, and basically tells Dr. Alessi, uh, no, no, he knows how to speak English. Uh, he understands yeah. what you're saying. Doc, make a decision. And yeah, Dr. Alessi says, so to me, it's the whole just WTF to Aviv Gozali of, bro, like, you tried to play the game, but too many people saw you do interviews in English. Yeah, yeah, including the people on the broadcast, including 
I don't know, Mike Mazzulli, the, the guy in charge there, he's probably very aware of it. And it was kind of, it was very chaotic, a very chaotic situation. It was entertaining to see Mazzulli in, in the camera shot and, and just getting involved in very hands-on approach from him, uh, directing what was going on. It was crazy. I mean, it was like a pro wrestling heel move, you know, a pro wrestling villain uh, pretending to speak a, a, like he couldn't speak English to stall time. But it's like, what's even the point of stalling time? The ankle isn't going to get unbroken. But, yeah, that was absolutely crazy. It looked like he injured himself very early on because, like, one minute into this fight, and I, and he must have been a big favorite against Bobby King, I would assume. Oh, yeah. Uh, check that out if, if he is. And I did check on – it was Kevin McDonald officiating the fight. Uh, he, he just immediately starts limping and moving differently. And I think from that minute on, it's uh, he, he fought completely differently and, and got pieced up. This is a guy who has a lot of promise and potential – don't let this performance fool you. He has got plenty of potential, but he needs to stop doing things like that. Yeah, he was a minus two seventy five uh, betting favor over DraftKings Sportsbook. I mean, look, it, it's he's a very talented grappler, but you see the deficiencies uh, in his in his stand up game. I mean, just man, he just got pieced apart there. Um, yeah, I will tell you, you know, you know, one of the things of I will tell you the one guy that really has me interested that was a part of that prelims outside of the, the ranked fighters that or the fighters that I had me interested. Justin Montalvo, who is out of Ray Longo's gym, remains undefeated. TKO in the first round. He's a guy to pay attention to there. Uh, Jalen Bates, you know, was not the, I think, kind of the statement type fight we thought we would see from him. Uh, goes out there and ultimately gets a third round submission there. Brandon Ward, I, I thought was really interesting. Uh, Scott Coker, after this fight was over, uh, you know, basically mentioned like, you know, uh, you know, back in the day, they just didn't want to deal with Brandon Ward anymore. I mean, basically the way the way he, he talked about it, and I've talked to multiple people up there in the Northeast, and and they all basically talked about how Brandon is a completely different fighter. Really interested to see what they do with him um, in, in terms of, of at welterweight. Uh, Adam Piccolotti getting a win. Koreshkov, man, with that spinning uh, kick right to uh, the ribs there, looked absolutely amazing. He's now going to take on Paul Daly in May. I, I've not gotten confirmation of whether this fight's at 170 or maybe it's a uh, a contract weight of 175 pounds, which that's what Paul Daly's been doing recently. Of course, Logan Storley goes out there. Great performance that he had there in the main event. But, uh, you know, Daniel, uh, you know, speaking of the welterweight division, you know, one of the things is, I you know, I want to offer – up my Bellator rankings, which I did send to you earlier on today because I kind of wanted to give you a little bit of a preview of it. I mean, first off, uh, you know, you got any criticism for my ballot? No, man, I'm not going to criticize your ballot in front of you. And, and, and I looked at it and I thought it was good. I mean, who were the names? I, I guess do you want to list out your top 10 for the for the listeners. All right. So obviously the champion is Amosov. And then at, at number one, I got Michael Page, two, Douglas Lima, three, Andre Koreshkov. I think I'm a lot higher on Koreshkov than a lot of other people in, in the rankings panel. Then four, Jason Jackson, five, Logan Storley, six, Neiman Gracie, seven, Paul Daly, which that one is kind of a weird one for me because he really hasn't fought at 170 in in two plus years. Uh, Then eight, Sabah Hamamasi, nine, Derek Anderson, and and 10, Shamil Nikolaev. Um, And just to kind of, I think also, because someone um, on Twitter was kind of asking me about this, about basically, you know, who is in the available ranking system? Um, By the way, like I heard someone complaining about the rankings at women's uh, featherweight. Uh, newsflash, um, the, the complaint was about Jessica Borger being number 10 and Jessica Borger being three and four. 
There's 10 fighters and the thing is there. There's 10, yeah. there's 10 eligible fighters, yeah. <laughs> but I will tell you, one interesting thing about the rankings I did notice was Henry Corrales was not an eligible fighter to be ranked on. He just fought out his last deal. Well, I thought was interesting, Benson Henderson just fought his last deal, but Benson Henderson was still uh, there. So, let's wait. The uh, fighters that you could uh, vote on for, Brandon Bell, Makamov, Makamayev, Berhamanov, I push the hell out of that, uh, Lee Levage, Shokali, uh, Archie, Colgan, Stefan, Costello, Kyle Crushmir, Joey Davis, Jesus, Jonathan Del Lorenzo, Michael Dubuis, Oliver Encamp, Roman Feraldo. That's the guy to pay attention to, by the way. Just signed a, a multi-fight deal with Bellator. Uh, Julian Garcia, Hobson uh, Grayson Jr., Jack Grant, Ethan Hughes, Nathan Jones, Shane Keefe, Mark Leminger, Lewis Long, Macon Maladonna, Orlando Mendoza, Achilles Mota, Yusuf Nakatov, Bobby Palette, Chance Rinconter, Dante Shiro, Muhammad Saibi. I mean, you go down names, a lot of guys who are just Bellator preliminary card fighters. Let's just be honest about it. Julia Willis is in there. Brand Ward's in there. You know, to me, I, I thought welterweight's kind of a more easier division to rank personally. Um, you know, Koreshkov to me is a name where I think that's the name. I think people, the one thing I've kind of noticed, because like so, I, I saw someone said, how is uh, Vitaly Minikov a top 10 guy in Bellator? Seriously, bro? You yeah. think Minikov is not a top 10 heavyweight in Bellator? Yeah. Like, I mean, look at like, those names. Uh, um, do you forget he's a former champion? Do, you, do we do we forget that? Yes. Not not the most active guy, but of course you look at those top ten and it's like, well, yeah. I mean, there you go. I mean, like you look at your list, I think you laid it out perfectly. To be frank, I would pick Logan Storley in a fight against everyone in your top ten. I would think Logan Storley would beat all of them, to be honest with you. I mean, just because but not I wouldn't rank Logan Storley number one. I I think I would probably maybe put him above Jason Jackson. But at the end of the day, if you tell me Logan's and look, I know Andre Kurishkov is the scariest MF in the game, right? He went up against Chancellor Counter and like broke half of his ribs with a single strike. That was the scariest thing in the world. That Paul Daly matchmaking is amazing. We're gonna get a stand-up affair. Um, but Logan Storley has the ability to control where the fight takes place. That's what he did in the main event. He made this fight a stand-up fight and he won that decision. Uh, obviously, as the fight went on, Neiman Gracie performed better. And, and I, I, you know, this is a seven round fight. Maybe Neiman Gracie wins it, but it was a five round fight. But Logan Storley against Koreshkov, against Page, against Douglas Lima, he's going to take them down and put them on their back. He might get submitted by Douglas Lima. That may be something that, that you know, but Logan Storley legitimately might find himself eventually getting that rematch with Yaroslav Amasov. Mm, yeah. But when you look at those top 10, uh, I, I think you, you nailed it. I mean, Look, Brennan Ward probably needs to fight in a in an actual welterweight bout before we start ranking him. But he looked like a top ten fighter in this weight class with his performance. But he needs to fight at 170. But he looked damn good, and he's the type of guy with one more fight at 170. I do think will be in the top ten. I mean, his stand up looked on fire. Look, let's call that fight what it was. That was a showcase fight. It was a showcase fight, but. If you match Brandon Ward with anybody else that's unranked, that's also probably going to be a showcase fight. Here's where I feel bad for Brandon Ward. His value to Bellator is on Mohegan shows. I don't know if he has the same value if the fight card is not at Mohegan. Well, the good thing for Brandon Ward is they run Mohegan like like four <laughs> times a year. So, no, that, I mean, uh, uh, like, look, as I look at the official Bellator rankings, there are some things that 
jumped out to me. Like, like the fact that Andre Koreshkov is number six in the rankings. Now, you just heard what I said. He's number three for me. I think number six is pretty low for Andre Koreshkov. I know he hasn't fought a ton of Bellator, but to me, I'm looking at, as I'm doing my ballot and just kind of give people an idea of what I do is before the event is uh, starts, a day before, I'm going through it. I'm already I'm already prepping for what my ballot could be and based on the results there. Um, I, I will tell you some other ones that just, middleweight is the hardest one because there's so many guys ineligible like to me like it, it's it's tough for me to say how good is romario cotton i mean look i think the ceiling's high but based on who he's fought right now i, I think it's very tough to assess where he is i still don't understand this daniel and i guess this is because i look at the big picture how is gaygard musasi not number one pound for pound i mean i think it's 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 got to be aj mckee you know he, he's just- he is but like if you look at the complete body of work, should Gegard Morsasi be number four? No, he should at least be two. He should at least be two. He's got the body of work. It's just AJ is more exciting because his ceiling doesn't appear to be visible, right? You look up, you can't find it. For Musasi, I mean, he's someone we've been familiar with for like 20 years at this point. But in terms of resume, in terms of what he's done in Bellator, he, he should be number two for sure. Here's the one that was tough for me, men's pound for pound. What do I do with Ryan Bader and Corey Anderson? Oof. The only reason I put Bader in front of Anderson, we're talking pound for pound. He's doing it heavyweight. Yeah. That yeah. was, that, I, I was sitting there going, okay, if you, in light heavyweight, Corey Anderson's got to be in front of him. But in pound for pound, I was like, man, I got to, you know, Bader's doing this thing in heavyweight. And so I was like, that's even though Corey's got the win, I was like, ah, I got to put the notch up above. It's, it's tough. I think I would probably put Corey over Bader because he has that win, but it, it's close. I mean, again, we're picking it here. It's like, like going back to Koreshkov, like, like it makes sense that you had him at three, but the argument for having him at six is that he basically has not had a top five win since 2015, right? Like, like his best win since 2015 was either Sabah Hamasi or Benson Henderson. And then just nothing else really comes close. But it, it's tough. There are these guys where you're picking this and there's nothing wrong. You're just looking for those egregious way uh, rankings that, that makes you question things. And on your ballot, I don't see a single egregious ranking, buddy. I, I, Bantamweight, I guess some people have kind of woken up Koji Horiguchi, but he's still number five. Yeah, yeah. This is the guy who was essentially the champion headed into his last fight. <sighs> yeah, man. <laughs> just like, it, it's one of those things that like, look, I I want to be as transparent as possible. So if you're a listener's show, you got a question about the Bellator rankings, hit me up. Um, you know, it, it was some divisions I will tell you are, are just harder than other divisions. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, we got a Bellator car cover this week. We'll, we'll talk about that here, uh, shortly here, but, but yeah, it's, uh, overall, I thought Bellator 274 was a good card, an enjoyable card. Um, you know, we'll see what, you know, Logan Storley, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in May depending on what happens with Amosov and page. And then what happens with Douglas Lima and Jason Jackson? You know, I mean, if you're Jason Jackson, I mean, I think what the, the co-main event, your thought has got to be is, Hey, you got to go out there and put on a hell of a fight. Um, and you know, makes you wonder, does Bellator have an appetite for page Lima again? I don't know. That last fight was not the greatest of fights that, that rematch. It's hard to have an appetite for something that was as awful as that last one. It, it's just, why why book it again? It's one of those things where I think you only book it again if your hands are tied. But 
I mean, I think you're probably looking eventually at Lima versus Koreshkov down the line again. I think that's those are two guys who are probably circling each other. But, I mean, also Logan Storley has got to be in that mix. He's got to face a top contender next. I mean, Logan Storley deserves to be in, in like, a number one contendership type fight. Hey, if Paige wins the title, which I think uh, I don't see happening. Yeah. (laughs) But if Paige wins the title and Koreshkov goes out there and knocks out Paul Daly, I could see that being the next title fight. That's the that's the fight you have to make. It's entertaining. It's exciting. It's unique. It if that happens, without a doubt. But again, I think when you're looking at likely results, you're looking at Koreshkov beating Daly, you're looking at MSF getting the win, and you're looking at Lima beating Jackson. And I think that's probably what we're going with moving forward. I think the only difference would be maybe if Douglas Lima ages, but otherwise I, I think that's where this division's headed. So in a joking manner, we could sit there and say the story of UFC Vegas 48 is Commander Dale Brown. By the way, I don't know if you noticed this. Habib took a selfie with him. I didn't notice that. I didn't notice him with the, uh, the legit look commander. Off, look off. Joaquin Buckley, bro. Brilliant move. Brilliant move. Because more people are talking about Joaquin Buckley. If if Commander Dale Brown was on his corner, I don't, I, you know, probably people are just more talking about the scoring of that fight more than anything else. Uh, but look, clearly, the star of UFC Vegas 48 is Jamal Hill and what he was able to do. That knockout there in the first round. And I mean, look, this is a division that needs guys that get you interested. And I'll tell you right now, if I'm the UFC, I'm being very uh, smart about how I match Jamal Hill because obviously, if there is a potential weakness in him, it, it is with the grappling. That's why I think Jamal Hill, because I don't think Anthony Smith will take that fight. I don't think that makes fight uh, a fight makes sense for Anthony Smith. I think where the fight it does make sense for Jamal Hill, Dom Reyes. That's a great fight. That's a great fight. I mean, for him, it probably makes more sense than the Vulcan Ozemir fight. You know, he's talking a lot of trash to Vulcan, and you know, but yeah, I, I think you want to see him matched up with guys who are going to stand and trade with him. You know, it was. Uh, he was very, it was very exciting viral knockout over Johnny Walker. I mean, he literally just touched the button and Johnny Walker turned off. It was an, it's a bad loss for Walker. I mean, this was, uh, this was like two ships sailing in the night with one guy going up the rankings and one guy just cannot figure it out after he showed so much promise. It's hard to see. He's been changing to camp after camp and just has not been working for Johnny Walker. And it was just a tough loss for him. But Jamal Hill clearly, uh, just. Yeah, the big winner, right? Him, uh, Dale Brown, again, as you mentioned, were the big winners of the night. And it's exciting to see what's next for him. Um, But, yeah, I mean, these are guys making the most of their opportunities. Like, we weren't excited for this fight card heading into it. But heading out of it, I mean, there were plenty of names you can look at and get excited about. Buckley was good. And that was a close fight against Al-Hassan, by the way. I mean, mean, Buckley won. uh, First off, obviously, Buckley lost round three. But he won round one and two by pushing the pace and being more aggressive. Uh, the thing that made me happy was, oh, by the way, man, Kyle Dawkins nearly chopping off Jamie Pickett's tongue was just so gross with that Darce joke. He, he talked about – Pickett talked about he had a tap at the second left because he thought he was going to be tongueless. But to me, uh, the story for me personally was watching Jim Miller fight against Nicholas Mota. I mean it was, a beautiful, it was beautiful to watch him win that fight. All right. I'm glad you brought that up. True, false. Jim Miller's a UFC Hall of Famer. True. Without a doubt. Damn, people so. are going to think I'm a hater for this. You don't think so? Does longevity make you... I, I See, the thing is, like, I think he'll get inducted to the UFC Hall of Fame. But, like, my thing is, 
are you a Hall of Fame fighter if you've never fought or won a UFC title? I think the answer is yes. Uh, because what Jim Miller's done is so extraordinary that it should be recognized. His longevity is is worth enshrinement, in my opinion. But it is a close call. It absolutely is a close call. He will never achieve that elite status of challenging for a title. It's a damn shame. He was There were times in his career where he was on the verge of it. But because of his longevity, because he's in the record books, and it's probably going to be a very long time until someone takes it. I mean, he, he looked damn good against Nicholas Mota. I mean, you have guys like Chad Skelly retiring, basically, who are a lot younger than Jim Miller, I'm pretty sure. But, man, Skelly looks good with his knee. But Jim Miller's got to be a Hall of Famer because of his – extraordinary accomplishments due to longevity in the UFC. No, and I totally understand that. And and I think a lot of people probably understand where I'm coming from as well for the case of it's tough for me to sit there and and, and, because I guess like, you know, I come from a football world. When I think about players going into the can, you're best of the best. And and look, and he's one of the best of the best, but it's it's one of those things of I believe it's I, the longevity is ultimately what's going to get him in. But let me let me ask you who's his best win since 2016. Takanori Gomi, Joe Lazone, Tiago Alves, Alex White, Jason Gonzalez, Clay Guida, Roosevelt Roberts, Eric Gonzalez, Nicholas Moda. Look, it's been a really rough second half of his career. I mean, the answer is probably Joe Lozon. It might be Tiago Alves. You know, honestly, what's going to probably go down as his best win that may end up ultimately looking the best is his win December 11th, 2010, UFC 124, submission of the night against Charles Oliveira. Yeah, that's something that's going to age really, really well as time goes on. But, you know, it, it's the first half of his career that you look at that validates him as a top fighter. I mean, he comes into the UFC, and this guy, I want to say, just doing the quick math, I want to say he won. He went 9-1 and one to start with his lone loss being against Gray Maynard, who was obviously either – that must have been just before he won the championship, I want to say, against Frankie. And so that initial run kind of established Jim Miller as at that time he was a top five lightweight. And then it's the longevity. But, yes, the back nine is just littered with wins and losses. And a lot of the wins aren't over quality opponents. That that goes without saying. But in terms of the prime years, it's that first half half of his career. And you're right. That win over Oliveira looks better every single day. But, yeah, when you're looking at like his top three wins, I mean, it's probably Oliveira. Hell, it's probably Matt Wyman back in 2008. At that time, Matt Wyman was pretty damn good. Uh, and, man, I mean, yeah, I, the quality wins aren't there the more I look at it, it realistically. The number three win is guy probably is Joe Lazone. Yeah. it's it, You know, Glyson Tebow was also – I feel like Glyson Tebow was pretty good at that time in 2010. If I if I go and look at it, it's kind of like yeah. when you look at this resume and you think of the names of what those fighters did. You know the the fighters that he was unable to beat are really the the best names on his on his resume. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, the Melvin Gillard one was pretty good at the time. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It was a yeah, main event. Totally, yeah, you're totally, and it was a hell of a fight. Uh, but yeah, you're totally right in, in terms of this is a guy who's very much on the fence. But I just think just. Saying, oh, this guy will fight the most times in the UFC. Like, there you go. But obviously, it's a no-brainer. You got to match him up with either Donald Cerrone or Joe Lozon next. I mean, that's that's a 
it's a fight you can put on. As well, like they're, a uh, they're fighting each other later this year. 274, I want to say. Cerrone versus Lozon? Yeah. I did not even see that fight booking. So just give Jim Miller the winner. Look, there's so many fights that get booked. Don't don't feel bad that you missed one. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad they made that fight, though. That's a, I wonder if that's, yeah. That's, that's nice and nostalgic. It guarantees one of those yeah, guys. It's, uh, yeah, that fight is happening. UFC 274. Awesome. I mean, that, that's a fight I'm looking forward to seeing happen. Yeah, I mean, but uh, David Onam, I think, is another one to mention uh, of going out there and, and having an incredible performance. Uh, Stephanie Egger, I think, is another one that you got to point out there uh, of what she was able to do. Uh, you know, two guys you're going to hear from here momentarily, Jonathan Pierce and Mario Batista. Jonathan Pierce, man, that cardio is on point, bro. That cardio is on point. Yeah, it, it was. And, and, and you mentioned uh, Mario Batista. He also had a pretty good... Uh, decision win and, and that was a fight that was very fast paced as well so I think you started that card off with two guys incredibly fast paced but yeah you mentioned the two names that I would have brought up had you not uh, it, you know Stephanie Eggers judo came into play there uh, against Jessica Rose Clark and transitioned into that arm bar to get the tap and uh, there was no fight of the night, but if you were going to award it to anyone, you would have to give it to Onama versus Benitez. It was only one round, but Benitez had Onama hurt uh, in, in the first part. Then Onama just kind of kind of corners him and, and puts him away. So that Onama-Benitez fight is definitely the most must-watch fight uh, of the night. And then, yeah, Gloria DePaulo with the win over Diana Balbita. Uh, that was pretty solid. And, uh, yeah, and also uh, Chad Allinger uh, beating Jesse Strader. So, I mean, it was a fun little card. Uh, nothing to write home about. You know, heavyweights weren't the most exciting in the world, but they weren't afraid to throw the, throw hands. They just weren't able to connect with significant power. Yeah, Alan Boudot, I thought, looked much better than I thought. I, I really just thought that was going to be a, a showcase there for Parker Porter. But Jamal Hill's merely clearly the the uh, star of the night. But I mentioned about I had a chance to uh, catch up with two of the fighters that were a part of this card, Jonathan Pierce and Mario Batista. You're going to hear those conversations back-to-back back right here as I spoke to both those guys this week about their wins last week at UFC Vegas 48. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man who is coming off a victory this past weekend, and uh, I was joking about it a little earlier. Do we just call you the cardio machine this time? Because good Lord, bro, man, you are just, I mean, and I feel like all the content I've taken over the past couple of days, I think that's kind of been a lot of the talk about you is just like, you know, man, JSP is just the cardio king. Yeah, man, uh, that's always been an attribute of mine ever since I was younger and I was glad to be able to showcase that. I actually had a hard, uh, like I didn't recover properly. So I, I would like for y'all to see me when I actually am like fully hydrated and, you know, and I have one of those fights. What, was it just one of those situations where just kind of you, you miscalculated on the rehydration process? I think so. And like, I got back, like I got out of the cage and I was like throwing up a lot and I can't like give it a stop until they gave me like a chewable tablet and stuff. And they said, like, if you keep throwing up, you probably need to go, like, to the doctor and get an IV. So, uh, yeah, like, I, didn't, I wasn't feeling so hot during that fight, but uh, I, got it, I got it done, you know. Yeah, you get done there, and of course, you know, you, you go through the opponent change, you know, before, before the uh, the fight here, going from Lingo over Rodriguez, uh, and, uh, you know, one of the things on the broadcast, it, it, they kind of allude to the fact of every time Rodriguez did something on the ground, you were always just kind of one step ahead of him. Was it just one of those things that it's, it's just a feel thing, like you could kind of feel where he was going from one point to another? 
Yeah, I definitely feel like in this fight I showed that I was a veteran and that I could just showcase my skills and be in a dominant, like be two steps ahead, be one step away from that submission and kind of ride, ride it out there and then see if he was going to make a mistake and put the submission on. But, you know, that kid was undefeated for a reason. Like, he was a good little fight for me, and I thought I didn't think he was going to give me that much, you know, and uh, hats off to him, you know. Is it one of those things of as you went back and you looked at the film and you're just like, man, this is just an inch here, inch there, and you know what that that choke would have would have sunk in. Yeah, that, and then before the armbar in the second round, I hit him with that knee, and we just we were both like deer in the headlights, looking at each other, and I had him, and he knew I had him, and then I shot in and got the armbar. So there was a few times where I feel like I could have went and finished the fight and like didn't shoot in as soon in the first round and use my feints and started picking them apart. I think where I wrestled so soon, I had to wrestle the rest of the time. You know what I mean? If I would have just like, you know, stuck a jab out there in the first round and kind of set on that because I was winning the striking exchange in the first round and then I just went straight for the takedown. Is that something uh, Coach Eddie Cha kind of laid it, laid out to you after a fight of like, man, you you should have you know, maybe play it more out on the feet? Yeah, I saw he said that, and then also like I'm a competitor. Like I I'm not the I wouldn't say I'm the greatest fighter of all time, but I'd say I've competed my whole entire life and I know how to win. You know, and uh, and I and I saw that when I watched it too. You know, when I watched the fight back. So that competitiveness makes you kind of wonder, does that competitiveness like in all aspects of your life, like, you know, you, if you and your girl are, are out and about and, you know, maybe saying you're playing a, a game at a bar, like, is that that same competitive juices there? I definitely always want to win, but, uh, like, I think, uh, I say that more for the cage because, you know, that is my pride and uh, I want to do it there and show the world that I can do it. And, uh, but who's watching me play, you know, Uno in my, in my living room, you know? So, uh, I, I have fun with the competition at the house and stuff like that, but I don't think I'm overly competitive, but I would say I'm really competitive in the gym and stuff like that. Even if we're training, like, I'm not going to let you just get something on me. Now, as you look at the last three years, you know, from getting on the contender series to getting to the UFC and, and now this winning streak you're on, like, how, how do you describe these last three years for yourself? Like a, like a dream, you know, I got in and I never thought an East Tennessee boy like me could make it to the big show. And, and I didn't know anybody outside of my area that's done what I've done. And I, I feel like I'm a front runner for my area. And I think that's just so cool. And I'm working on number four. That's all, all I can think about. I got up this morning, ran four miles for number four. You know, I did four sauna things for number four. So like, I'm gonna get this fourth win. When you moved out to Arizona, what was the biggest difference for you from being in Tennessee to, to now being in Arizona? Um, the weather. And uh, I didn't have any of my, my su- as big a support system out here. Like, yeah, I could call people, but it wasn't like going and hanging out at your buddy's house and after like a hard day of training or even after a loss, you know, after the lows on fight. Uh, so, it was uh, taught me about growing up and loss, and as you get older, this is a game of life, and I think it's pretty cool how it'll teach you and grow you, mold you, and I just I can't wait to see what's next, and very blessed, you know. 
you know, I've, I've had several fighters throughout the years. They, they talk about the, these sacrifices that you're going to make in the fight game. And, you know, a lot of it, it seems like they'll talk about, you know, the, the social aspect that the sacrifice you have to make because of, you know, when you're chasing a stream, the amount of work you got to do in your gym. I mean, do you look at the biggest sacrifice for you was, you know, moving across the country to, to go for this dream? I think with that, that was a big sacrifice, but what came with that is that my grandparents are up in age and I don't get the last, you know, my last time with them. And, uh, that, that sucks, but you know what? I knew that coming into this and this is for me to carry on the torch, to carry on the family legacy and to build a dynasty. So as every, every man has to go through this. So I feel like, uh, you know, that's a part of growing up and, uh, I've come to terms with it, but that's kind of what this fight for me was, was like the motivation behind it that well, I know all these people are watching and I can't let them down. And I was in that choke for probably a good minute, like 40 seconds. And I was choosing if I was going to tap out in the first round against a debut guy or if I was going to stay in there and I stayed in there and I knew that that was the fight, you know, once I got through that. In terms of, you know, your, your influences on your career, is, is your family your biggest influence? I would say definitely. They've always been there for day one, like, because I started wrestling at a young age. So like, I didn't hit up everybody to go hang out and have fun on the weekends. I had a tournament on the weekends and the guys that was there were riding with me, but not everybody was shooting in the gym, you know? So now I'm out here and a lot of those people have stopped doing it or just couldn't make it this far. And uh, I'm just, like I said, like for all those people, I'm, I'm keep going for them and uh, just can't wait. You know, I, I know you, your, your latest Instagram post was just who's next. Um, is there a timeline of when you would like that next fight to be? Yeah. Like I'm ready right now. Uh, the last two years I've only had like two fights cause I had the surgery and stuff. And then, you know, you gotta be smart about your losses as well. And uh, I had this guy poll a few days before the fight. So I would like to be more active this year and um, see what happens and go from there. And, of course, uh, congratulations on the victory, JSP. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Of course, uh, let me know anything follow you on social media. Anything else you want to mention, man? Um, I just want to thank all my coaches at Fight Ready, Santino, uh, Eddie Chaw, Chad, Angel, everybody that's helped over there. Um, I want to thank uh, Shane Rogan Inu for their help, and uh, let's get this let's get this fourth one, JSP baby. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man who scored a victory this past weekend, UFC Vegas number forty nine, Mario Bautista. I will give my listeners a little bit of an insight on this one. So, uh, me and Mario were scheduled to talk about two weeks ago, week ago, maybe. Yeah, it was about, I guess, two weeks ago, it was a week before the fight. And uh, Mario's uh, management team goes, Hey, man, um, yeah, we need to kind of hold off on the interview right now because, uh, yeah, he just lost his fight. And we're trying to figure out what's going on here. It's so, like, for you as a fighter, when all this goes on, it, it is what is that point your mind says, like, you know what? I'm just going to management handle this, get me a new fight, and, and I'm just going to keep grinding away in the gym. Yeah, you know, I had to put a lot of trust into to the management and, you know, and, and kind of prepare for something that would happen like this, you know, because with everything going on in the world, uh, I just told myself, just if something happens, just don't be surprised. So, but luckily Jason got it done and, and here we are. 
Uh, one of the things, and I guess maybe I had just never noticed this with your tattoos of the Battleborn. So where, where, when did you get that tattoo? Oh, I got it when I was, I think right after high school. So I was maybe like 19 and I uh, got it on my forearms. Um, and uh, I got it there. That's where my uncle, he had his tattoos and he passed away uh, around that time. So I, I got it there uh, just for him. And also it's uh, a Nevada uh, state motto. And so I'm always representing Nevada and, uh, and, and that's a little story behind that. Was there ever a thought to get a, to get the whole phrase on one arm or was the mentality always you wanted to get it on both forearms? Oh no, I wanted to get them both forearms. I've always had that, that idea, that pose, like it's always been in my mind. So, and, you know, we mentioned about, uh, you know, obviously you had to change an opponent to you get, it goes on Jay Perrin and you know, it had been a while for you. I mean, was it, it was, it one of those things of like, because I think heading into this one, I think a lot of people were like, well, what, you know, what's Mario going to look like, you know, in terms of that, what, what had the last year looked like for you? Oh, I mean, it was just about an up down kind of, I don't know. I just, a lot of things falling through uh, last year, lost, I lost a fight. I was supposed to fight in August. Got COVID myself, uh, and then got scheduled four months after that. So it was just a, a roller coaster, I should say. I, I know I've talked to other fighters who who have uh, you know got COVID and, and they bounced back from it, and and everyone's got a different story. For you, was it a quick bounce back, or like when you got back in the gym, you kind of realized like, oh man, I can't push myself right now the way I I want to. Oh yeah, no. When I got it, I. I think like the first day I was like, all right, I'm going to try to make it to the fight. I have, I have to pass the test next week. I think I'll be okay. You know? And like, uh, you know, a couple days in, I knew it wasn't going to happen. You know, I wasn't sleeping at night, night sweats and it, it got to me pretty good. So once a week came around, I just said, uh, I'm going to have to back out of this one because I was not going to perform the way I wanted to. There's one thing you said there that stuck out to me above all else sleep, because to me, every, anytime I've talked to, um, you know, someone on, on the physical side of sports, they always talk about is like the, you know, the one thing we never talk about of how important it is is sleep. Is that something you've always kind of recognized as like, man, I got to get, you know, that, that proper amount of sleep or, or, or I'm not going to be able to maximize my performance in the gym. Oh, absolutely. Sleep is like the number one thing. And especially when you have, Mine was about like five days in a row where I was waking up every, you know, two hours, staying up for another hour. And just, it, it was a pretty rough one. You know, if uh, I remember when my daughter was born and she would cry like in the middle of the night, I'd call him the next day, hey, coach, I don't think I'm going to make it in today. I'm going to rest up a little bit. So you can only imagine. Dude, I'm telling you, I, I got the I got the booster um, beginning of the year. And man, it put me out for like three days. I was like... Holy crap! If this is just a taste of what COVID's like, holy cow! Yeah, definitely. That first one that I got in, because uh, I've had COVID twice. So in August, that was the rough one. I believe that was probably Delta, and uh, and I got it again around New Year's, and that one went by fairly um, yeah. for me easily. It was about three days of like a cough, but definitely the first one. That was not, that was not fun. <laughs> no. Uh, but you know, when you had that change in opponent, what was, and obviously you're taking on a guy who had been on contender series. Uh, he had a fight scheduled. He was supposed to uh, defend his CES title uh, at the beginning of March. Like as you looked at him, did you kind of say, okay, you know what? 
not not too much I got to change in my training. Oh, exactly. It was I felt it was, he was very similar as far as game planning for Kali Taha, and uh, and that was it. And I'm glad once my opponent fell out, I'm glad I just stuck to my conditioning, did what I was supposed to, and having trust in that I was going to find someone because uh, Jay uh, he was pretty tough and he was there for three rounds. So I'm I'm glad I did still did my work. Was there anything about him in on in the cage on fight night that surprised you? Uh, not really. You know, I knew he was going to be tough, mentally tough. And, uh, you know, like you said, he was getting ready to defend his title. So he does have like champion mindset and, and that was just it. You know, uh, he was tough, but, uh, you know, my conditioning and skills were just a little bit better that night. You know, I, obviously you've gone back, you've watched the fight. You're going to look at the pros and cons of, you know, what you did well, what you think of, you could have done better as you look at what you're happiest about, obviously the victory, you're happy about that, but is there something about what you were able to accomplish on fight night that just, it, it sticks out to you the most? Uh, yeah, just remaining calm, you know, for the amount of time I had off away from the, from the cage, I was thinking like, maybe I would go in there and have some jitters again. Uh, but I went in there and I, I felt calm. I felt like I was just at home and also just going through a bunch of different, uh, you know, from stand up, flying knees to clinch, to takedowns. I was able to showcase a lot of what, uh, what I've been working on and, and feeling comfortable going into those areas. Is being calm on fight night, something you always concern yourself with? Oh yeah. You know, you want to be calm. And you want to make sure you have, you slept good the night before you ate the right things before. And, uh, actually fighting early, uh, really helped me out. Cause uh, that's the time we spar on Saturdays at our gym. So okay. I kind of knew what to eat, when to eat to feel good at that time. And is it kind of nice to be like, you know, the first fight of the night, it's like, okay, I know exactly when I'm fighting. Oh yeah. Got it done out just in time for some lunch, you know, <laughs> so it felt, it felt pretty good. You know, is it uh, in terms of fighting earlier on in the day? Does it does it? You, you mentioned about hey, you know, I I spar at this time of the day, but is it is it kind of still weird to be inside the UFC octagon that early on in the day? You know, if it's for the apex, you know, put me as early as you can. But if it's for the fans, um, I, I don't mind fighting a little bit later to put on a show for those guys. And of course, uh, you, you know, three wins now in, in the UFC. You mentioned about, hey, you know, obviously it had been a while. As you look at the rest of this year, as you, the personal goals that you have for yourself, is there is there something that, that sticks out above all else about what you want to accomplish this year? Uh, yeah, basically, I want to play catch up. You know, I want to be very active this year, at least three fights. And uh, like I said, I've, I fought early in, the, in this year. So, uh, possibly, you know, fight every quarter if I can, if I'm healthy. I just remember what I was going to ask you is I had a little brain fart on what to ask you. You mentioned about you want to make sure you're calm. What's the difference between fighting calm versus fighting patient? Uh, I think calm for me, it is just, you know, I let things flow. You know, I wasn't thinking like, Oh, I shouldn't take him down because, you know, he that's his style of fight. Um, I was calm. I was going to play my game plan wherever it went and and just to be relaxed. And whatever I find, whatever pass I find easiest to victory, I know I will find it, and, and I did that night. Are you an overthinker on things? Like you, you think so much and dig so much into it that you, you feel like you just – you, you got to kind of step it back sometimes in, in the way you think about the fight game? 
sometimes I do. Sometimes I think I overthink, but once you get into that cage, it's all, it's all instinct and, you know, everything just flows right after uh, one another. So, uh, maybe, maybe it's a good thing, you know, think a lot outside and when you're in there, it'll all come together. Influences in your life and your martial arts journey. Who, who would you say has been the greatest influence on you? I would say it would be John Crouch and, and Benson Henderson. Okay. You know, they've, uh, they've been there for me at my lowest lows, you know, even before I was in the UFC going through life and then having like a positive mindset and telling me, you know, you could be in the UFC, just you got to work hard. Even in days I didn't believe I was going to be, they would tell me you'll be in the UFC. You're going to be a UFC, uh, superstar. And uh, if you want to get there, you can. So uh, I would say those guys. Is that something you try to pass that information along to the younger guys in the gym at the lab of maybe you see yourself at that age in other people in the gym? Oh, definitely. And, uh, I'm 28 now. So that younger generation, it, it it's getting to the gym. So, um, uh, I think when the time comes and maybe I'll be able to explain it more to someone else, uh, someone that I see more of myself in, uh, whenever that person comes up, I'll, definitely have the right things to say to them. Like if you could go back and like with the knowledge you now have in this game and and look back at the guy that was having his first second professional fight, what would the advice you would give yourself? Uh, Pretty much the same advice Benson gave me, you know, just work hard, stay humble, work hard and uh, anything and everything you want. uh, If you work hard for it, it will, it will come. Awesome, Mario, man. As always, uh, appreciate the time, and uh, congratulations on the victory. Of course, uh, let me know anything for you on social media and anything else you want to mention, man. Yeah, find me on Instagram, Mario Bautista MMA, and uh, it'll have all my links on there. You can go find me. So. And that was my conversations with Jonathan Pierce and Mario Batista. Appreciate them taking some time out of their day to talk to me about their wins there. UFC Vegas 48. Uh, Daniel, I know you've uh, you've got a WTF of the week. And it's related to someone who got a win last week. And it's a WTF, uh, you know, not, not in the, the sense we maybe think of a WTF story of the week. Yeah, it, this is a positive one. Quentin Rampage Jackson's son, Raja, wins second amateur MMA fight. Uh, Raja Jackson won his second MMA fight. Uh, this went viral in the MMA world because uh, Rampage showcased his son next to the two green card girls. And this is a WTF moment because it's like WTF, I'm so old. The fact that Quinnen Jackson's offspring is this old and he's in so much better shape than me too. His his biceps are wide. I, I'm trying to be a pro wrestler, and this guy who was a kid probably when I was watching his dad fight, and I was already like in college, maybe in high school. Yeah, he, he's in so much better shape than me. But WTF, I'm old. That Quinn Rampage Jackson is out here. And what I love the most about this picture, man, he's got the chain. He's got the gold chain around him. I'm so excited to see Raja Jackson's career. Uh, a, uh, another WTF story of the week has to be, uh, Bryce Mitchell on MMA hour. Uh, I sat and watched that whole interview. I, I text Daniel WTF. What am I watching, bro? <laughs> like, I, I, and you know, it's bad when MMA fighting hasn't even put the interview out in solo form. It's just on the show. And if you go to the full MMA hour video from Monday and you, they time mark when the interviews start and the time mark on Bruce Mitchell says, 
MMA Fighting doesn't support or condone the misinformation in the following interview. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I, as, as I watched it, I all I could think about was Bryce Mitchell's manager, Matt Weibel, of first-round management, thinking, how much was his phone blowing up on Monday? I mean, it shows you the power of an interview and how it can affect your reputation. Bryce Mitchell is an incredibly skilled fighter. And obviously the first thing you think about, like, the, like, look, at the end of the day, the first thing you think of Bryce Mitchell is his penis uh, being wrapped around a drill, right? That's number one. Uh, I, I tried to forget about that, honestly. I really tried to forget about that. Yeah, now now we might just forget about it because now we think this guy uh, is crazy for, I mean, the, so for me, okay. So for everyone who's probably, probably aware, but basically he goes on Ariel's show. As soon as he's on the show, he just has this look in his eye where it's like, damn, this guy's going to say some dumb crap. Like, you just see it in his eye. Like, he's excited. He's full of piss and vinegar. And he's like, man, this guy's going to say something stupid. And he's like, Ariel, let's let's uh, just turn – like, this is the worst-case scenario if you're interviewing someone. Let's turn the ta- let's turn the tables. Let me interview you. It's like, no, this is, this is, this is a, a podcast where I interview people. Uh, why are you calling an audible? This is messed up. And then he proceeds to, instead of interview Ariel – uh, just tell Ariel his opinions about, you know, Ariel did answer his first question, but it was one of those things where you knew Bryce Mitchell was asking Ariel just so he could wait for Ariel to stop talking so he could give his opinion about it. And look, look, you could tell Ariel was getting very uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, there was like great. the end of the interview. You could just tell like, he's like, oh, thank God we have someone else who's, it's their time slot to come on. You could just tell like, like I sent you the photo like, He's got two guns next to him, and then he pulls another gun out of his hip. I'm like, what am I watching? Yeah, it was crazy, bro. I mean, shout out to Ariel. He handled it well. He gave him 30 minutes, uh, and and I saw the little thing he wrote on Substack, and it was nice. And and for Bryce, like, I you know, I don't want to like write him off or anything. Like, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but when you say things like um, the Vegas. Uh, shooting was staged or, or had government influence because you heard it from a couple of cab drivers that's dangerous misinformation like that idea that mass shootings some of them are staged by the u.s government that's just this isn't like an opinion that's just bad mass information that is is offensive i mean think about it if you are uh, a family member that's uh, related to someone who's a victim of one of those things, and you hear a jackoff go on a podcast talking about how that's staged, that's some bad stuff, buddy. That's some bad stuff. Or the awkward moment about talking about whether you get your vaccinated or not, and Ariel, you know, talk about he's vaccinated. We're both vaccinated. I'm boosted. And uh, in the interview you just heard uh, with Mario Batista, yeah, he talks about getting COVID, and then I bring up the fact I'm boosted and how I had a bad reaction to the the booster and. I kind of felt it started to get a little awkward. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about MMA fighters and vaccines that is just, it just, we did not, MMA, the MMA community did not shine well during the pandemic. It, it just didn't. We, we, we were very embarrassed, very embarrassing. I think it's something, it's, it's probably an athlete thing where maybe they had that confidence in their bodies. And surely they're right in terms of like, if they get the disease, they're probably going to do well with it they'll probably fight it off pretty well but for me it was always it wasn't just about protecting yourself it was about protecting my grandma regardless the MMA community just completely embarrassed themselves and and bryce mitchell uh reinforced a negative stereotype about MMA fighters with this interview 
you know, I don't want to, I don't want to like cancel a guy or anything, but I just want to say WTF to that interview. That was a WTF moment. That's one of those interviews. You'd love to be a fly in the wall on the UFC PR department there in Las Vegas. Oh, you just take the night. You just take like, the day like, off. What do you think when Bryce Mitchell shows up to Vegas this week for, you know, for, for his next fight? Like what, what, how do you think when he rolls into Vegas for his next fight, he's going to get some weird looks. Yeah. I, gear, I I would I'd be shocked if there's not been a Zoom meeting between Mitchell, his management, and the UFC over the last 24 hours. Absolutely, I, you would think so. The only upside for Bryce Mitchell is uh, more people know his name today than they did two days ago. That's a fact. That that is a look. Fact. You could take the Bryce Mitchell route, or you could take the Joaquin Buckley route. Take the Joaquin Buckley route. No doubt about it. No doubt about it, man. I love I love that interview he did with Ariel. I didn't watch the Bobby Green one. Uh, but I'm sure he, he had a good interview. I saw in the comments people were talking about it. But Look, this is you mentioned about Bobby Green, and I love this opportunity for him on, on Saturday night. Now, look, I'm not saying I'm picking him to win. I'm not saying that. But, man, you talk about where Bobby Green is at this point in his career, 35 years old. He's been on a nice little run. Like, this is a perfect opportunity. I think this is a no-lose situation for, for Bobby Green at the end of the day. Now, look, I think the key for Bobby Green, well, the simple key is, well, stop the takedown. <laughs> That's the simple <laughs> key. But I think the bigger key for Bobby Green is he's got to keep this fight in the center of the octagon. You know, you, you, when you look at that octagon, that black line, where basically it's going, you're essentially, you know, especially in a small cage, you're basically a step and a half, two steps away from your back being against the fence. To me, that's the key with Bobby Green. But I just love this opportunity. And uh, I had uh, I sent you the quote from his appearance on Ariel Hawani's show uh, earlier this week, which was just, it, it was a tremendous quote. Here's a quote. He goes, uh, I've cut 20, 25 pounds in three or four days. I want to show people I'm not crazy. I'm effing nuts. Get in there and do this S with the highest ranked guy in our effing division. I'm going to walk in there like a gangster and punch Islam Mahachev right in his effing face. How do you not love Bobby Green? Like, how can you, like, it's one of those things of, like, how can you not sit in front of your television on Saturday night and be rooting for Bobby Green? Yeah, I mean, going back to his performance that we just saw, his post-fight interview, the interviews he's been giving, this is a guy where he's a veteran of the sport, and it's like an old Western where it's like the old guy in town, but he's got one more bullet left in the chamber. And he's going to go down swing. Like, dude, if he beats Islam Makachev, that would be just the craziest story in the world. Look, if this fight stays standing, Bobby Green can't win this fight. Bobby Green's stand-up is slick. It's mm-hmm. clean. He moves a lot. If these two fight on the feet for 25 minutes, Bobby Green may, in fact, be your winner. But there's a big reason why Bobby Green is a plus 500 underdog. It's because Islam Makachev, Makachev uh, very well may be the UFC lightweight champion. Six months from now, he's been elite for years. Mm-hmm. He's been the guy no one in this weight class wants to fight. He's probably going to out-wrestle, out-grapple, and beat Bobby Green. But respect Bobby Green. Put respect on his name for standing up and taking on Mahachev like this. Okay, I'll also give kudos for Mahachev taking this fight. Because what is there to gain for him? Like, there is to be no- honest, there's nothing for him to gain. You know what, though? More people... Even though the Darius fight is better, more people are going to pay attention to Mahachev versus Bobby Green with his Bobby Green storyline than Mahachev versus Darius. Yeah, 
I, I get that, but like it, it's one of those things. That first off, there was no. I don't. I don't know how many guys in the UFC have the mentality that Bobby Green has to step up on ten days' notice to take on is Jeff. There may not be dudes who want who would not do it in ten weeks' time because they understand what they're about to walk into. I, yeah. That's why you give all the credit roll and you give credit for Islam for taking this fight because to me outside of, and who knows maybe there was a financial sentiment thrown to him of you know hey you win this fight you're getting the winner of you know Gaethje and, and Alvaro who knows but to me like you give credit to both these guys but Bobby Green has absolutely the most to gain this because if Bobby Green can go out there and shock the world on Saturday night inside the UFC Apex dude he puts himself in the in the conversation of one fight away from a title shot. Yeah, I mean if he if he beats Mahachev, he puts himself in consideration for an early favorite to win fighter of the year. <laughs> yeah, that would be very similar to like uh some of these great stories of, you know, it 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 would be just one of the great stories we'd see this year if he does it. But, you know, thank God that fight was put on because this fight card needed Mahachev to fight because this fight card on, on this weekend for fight night uh, for USC Vegas 49 sucks. I mean, this is this is awful. This is this is probably the worst fight card of the year. And I think I've already said that two times this year, and we're only two months into the year. Could you imagine if, if Mahachev said no, and then your main event was Misha Serkinoff versus Wellington Thurman? You're immediately seeing what your base level is for – if you just put crap out on there, what? Are, how many people are going to watch? Just some fights, bro. Just some on, fights. Is this on ESPN Plus? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, man. This is another rough card to watch. I mean, damn. Look, at the end of the day, we should wait one more week until we get the pay-per-view between Covington and Masvidal. But, uh, I mean, this has been the story of the UFC since the pandemic started is lame fight night cards just waiting for that stacked pay-per-view card. So what, what fight interests you more this weekend? Now, first off, the Bellator main event is in the afternoon on a Friday. Are you more interested in Islam Mahachev versus Bobby Green or Gegard Mousasi defending the middleweight title against uh, Austin Vanderford, which, by the way, Scott Coker joked about it, that he said he calls him Fan Sam. That's messed up. That's I'm messed sorry, up. man. Like, I feel like we don't get a lot of comedy out of Scott Coker. So I feel like that's funny. Like you, how often do you think you've heard Scott Coker give a one line zinger? Probably like zero times. Like, yeah, like Scott Coker is like IDF humor is probably like Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin. He's an old school type of guy. So yeah, I, I, uh, it, it hurts though. It's got to hurt if you're Austin Vanderford, but I mean, Hey, you know, it's power, MMA power couple. Um, look, I'm straight up. If, if you told me both fights are starting, which TV are you going to watch? I'm probably going to pick Mahachev, Bobby Green, but I'm probably going to regret it after the first round. I'm going to be like, damn, I know what's happening now, and I wish I could turn the channel because Musasi and Austin Vanderfort is obviously the fight where an upset is much more likely to happen compared to Mahachev and Green. That's what makes the Musasi-Vanderfort fight better is you could see Austin Vanderfort come out here and become the new champion. I just looked at the betting odds of this fight. I'm actually rather surprised of that Gay guard's not a bigger favorite. So there's some odds out uh, on a couple of sites, including FanDuel. Gay guard Musasi, minus 250. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Vanderfor is like 200 at most places. Well, I mean, I, it, I mean, look, if Vanderfor is going to win this fight, to me, he's just got to he's got to wrestle F Gay guard Musasi for five rounds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this is a guy. 
Mustafi only lost one time for like six years, and he's beaten like some of the best in the world. So the thing is, when I'm looking at his resume, the only the only guy that sticks out that's as good at wrestling as Vanderfort that he's fought since like he fought, uh, you know, to, it's in like the last five years is is uh, Chris Weidman. And then there's a pretty big gap between the next best wrestler. So there may be something to that. And he beat Chris Weidman. But there may be something to that, that, you know, Vanderfort's immediately going to be a part of, like, one of the top wrestlers Musashi's ever faced. And and I guess the reason why you might get excited about Vanderfort is the the other things, like the amount of experience Gengard has had in mixed martial arts eventually is going to take a toll. The physicality and athleticism has to be in Austin Vanderfort's favor but in terms of technique skill and dominance across the board even if musashi is taken down i like musashi on his back going up against vanderport i like what musashi would be able to do off of his back musashi is the clear pick here i mean he's legitimately yeah. the second or best fighter in bellator but vanderport just presents some intriguing problems that, that make him you know probably the best uh, challenger at the moment at 185 this fight lost its co-main event earlier this week with Peter Queeley pulling out due to injury. New co-main event is today Kavanaugh versus Liam McCourt, which is a huge fight uh, for that Ireland market. If, if Liam McCourt wins this, I think, unfortunately, they're probably going to rush her into a matchup against Chris Cyborg. I feel bad for her because Chris will probably just piece her apart. So Bellator sends out this press release earlier this week about a virtual media day with Hassan Magomed Sharapov, the younger brother of Zabit. So I look at his opponent because I see his opponent, his Jose Sanchez, 11-1. Daniel, I saw something really interesting on his uh, topology page. And so he was supposed to fight back in October at uh, Babylon MMA 25. The fight was canceled. And one of the things I love about topology is it tells you potentially why the fight was canceled. This was a first for me, Daniel. Sanchez uh, detained at an English airport due to COVID-19 restrictions. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. That's crazy. I wonder I wonder how or what happened. You think he you think it was because of a mask thing? I would maybe think it's probably maybe uh, a vaccination issue of maybe trying to get into another country. Yeah, probably that. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard of too many people detained because they were doing masks like no, we're in their mask airport. Uh, that's crazy. I, I will yeah, tell man. you another interesting topology um, run. Uh, so earlier today, I interviewed Connor Matthews, who is a part of the CES show next week. And so I saw he had a canceled fight last year at Cage Titans 50. He was supposed to fight Cody Allen Murray. The reason it was canceled, it says Murray was a no show. Oh, my God. Can you imagine going to a fight night and your opponent is a no-show because he just wasn't there? So I asked him about it, and he said, he's like, yeah, he goes, I weigh in. They tell me they're just waiting for him to show up. Just never shows up. Did he? They they were flying him in for this fight, Murray. And uh, Connor tells me that, uh, yeah, they found out he never got on the plane. That's I'm like, story. I go, I'm like, bro, do you take that as like a compliment that he was just realize that he just didn't want to fight you say so you need to get on the plane that's amazing that's crazy and tapology came clutch bro tap you you are the tapology king it's getting some good interviews out of you some good stories that's yeah that that's something i've never heard of before that a guy just doesn't show up to fight like he signed the fight like i've heard stories on the amateur scene 
of a fighter might show up to the weigh-ins, weigh in, and then magically doesn't show up on fight night. I've heard that one. Yeah, maybe. But like, this is where I feel bad for that promotion official or the manager that has to go up to the fighter and go, hey, man, how you doing? Yeah. Um, yeah. Bear bad news here. Your post on here. Mm-hmm. I feel bad for him. I feel bad for the fighter, the fight camp, everything. You got to pay that guy. But yeah. Yeah. Like I've heard weird stories of just like, you know, magically someone getting injured on the regional scene uh, mm-hmm. day of the fight. And the other fighter usually goes, really? You sure? You sure you got injured? Yeah. How do you get injured? Unless you're Kevin Randleman and walking backstage. I, I will say on the Bellator card on Friday, it was uh, interesting that Brett Johns is not on the main card. Yeah, that one, that one kind of, you know, um, Jornel Lugo, Brian Moore is on the main card. That's an interesting matchup. Jornel Lugo, definitely a, a bantamweight prospect to pay attention to. Um, I, I'll be in the office on Friday. I'll, I'll, I'll pop it up. I, I have realized something about Showtime, though, Daniel. What's that? I need to, I, I need to just add Showtime to my YouTube TV as opposed to subscribing to the app. Yeah, because. Once the Bellator fights are over, they're not made available on demand immediately. It's like a couple days later. And I'm just like, eh. So I end up watching. I watch those Bellator shows live. Do we have to go to the desk all the time? Yeah, the answer is no. Uh, but that's why I got DVR. I love DVR. I know. That, I, I'm just like, I, I, I went on my Showtime app and I'm like, it expires sometime middle of next month. So I'm like, okay, I just need to cancel at that point. I just need to add to my YouTube TV because I think it's probably like the same price. At least then I got some DVR function aspect to it. And I can start fast forward through some things because, yeah. 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 I think, uh, I think it kind of harkens back to the first part of our discussion and podcast and pacing, et cetera. We're here to watch the fights, bro. Yeah. Give us the fights. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, let's, uh, we're going to give a little news after this interview, as I had a chance to talk to Justin Jacoby, he's going to be a part of UFC 272 next week as he takes on, uh, Mihail Olszewczyk. So here's my conversation with Dustin Jacoby. Joining me now here on the MMA report is a man that we're going to see back inside the UFC octagon come here beginning of March. Dustin Jacoby, Dustin, man, as always, uh, appreciate the time. How's the holiday season, man? Uh, it was great, man. Thanks for having me on your show once again. And uh, yeah, holidays were great. Got to spend time, quality time with family and friends. And uh, we've known about this fight since just before the holidays. So right, right when the holidays were over with, we got right nose on the grindstone, man. Started preparing and getting ready for this next opportunity in March. So were we not at the bonfire a couple beers deep when we got the phone call for this fight this time? No, for, fortunately not. I actually had time to think about it, uh, you know, some time to prepare and uh, get myself right, which I'm very thankful for, man. Last year was a busy year. Um, I was able to do that just riding the momentum. And then the holidays came. And there was a big reset. And I took the time off. And, um, you know, like I said, there was just a big reset. So I needed to get back in the groove of things. You know, the first couple of weeks of training were, were pretty tough, man, after after a good year. And uh, that's the reality of life, man. It, it, time waits for no man. You got to keep it moving, keep it going. So I had to really find myself mentally, get myself back in shape physically. And uh, I'm getting there, man. And we still have a month out and I'm right where I need to be during this time. Do you feel like that as an athlete, that's something you have to do to kind of hit that reset button and just kind of decompress a little bit? 
Oh, absolutely, man. And I try to do a good job of that. I think I do do a good job of that for a couple of weeks, you know, up to a month after the fight. But, uh, you know, it's even more of a reset when it's been a year like that. I had a great year, a busy year, successful year, uh, but a busy year. So the, the reset was even bigger this time. I really just took my mind completely away from everything. I, I, I drove back to Illinois with my grandpa. It was just my grandpa and I. It was 13 hours. My wife flew in later, of course, but my grandpa and my dog, and we, we got to reflect and talk and I uh, had tons of downtime back there and, and, and seen a lot of good friends. And like I said, just completely took time away and, and reset. And then it was, once again, back to the grindstone. I saw one of the things that you did do was you went to the Hula Bowl in Orlando and uh, you talked about how a lot of people don't realize that football was your first passion. Yeah, absolutely, man. That was a great opportunity. I'm actually, uh, I'll, I will be partnering up with El Bandito Tequila. Uh, it's kind of a slow moving um, process right now, but it's a new tequila company. They're in 12 different states. They're coming to Colorado. I think they're in Colorado right now. And I just happened to know a guy who knows a guy. So that's why I was out there. But yeah, man, it was great to go to the college football game. I got to talk a lot of football with uh, coach legendary coach Jim Bates, who coached many years in college and the NFL, which was a great, great time. And I loved it every minute of that. Just talking football with a with an old football coach like that. So that was great. And, and just watching the game. Uh, I love football, man. It's one of my passions. So you're a big tequila guy. I do enjoy some tequila. I'm not a big tequila guy, so I'm like, hey, we gotta have tequila. But I do enjoy a good night off tequila. It always makes me happy too. I'm I'm a happy tequila guy. <laughs> I, I tell you what, uh, yeah, it's if I'm going to tequila, I'll do a shot. But like, I, I'm not gonna do too many of them. Oh no, too many of them. I'll I'll be puking right there with you, man. <laughs> Um, you know, the other uh, interesting uh, post you had on Instagram where you, you talk about uh, your relationship with the universe. And uh, for people who didn't see, you wrote, you must always know what it is you want. I highly recommend an open relationship with the universe. Throw out some thoughts, ideas, desires, dreams, passion, etc., and work until you gain everything it is you seek. I am forever grateful for my relationship with the universe because I have seen firsthand in life the power it holds and it's never over. It's until it's inevitably over. So like, is this something that, you know, maybe early on in your athletic journey, you kind of had this mindset? Well, you know, I've, I've always, I, I don't think I've always recognized it, but looking back on my life, I've always been in tune with the universe, very in tune. Um, uh, but seeing things before they happen, believing things and, and they come and, and just working towards whatever it is that I'm working towards, you know, whatever I want. You know, when I say throw your words out there, you know, one of my favorite books of all time, It Takes What It Takes uh, by Trevor Moad. He just passed away recently of cancer, which is just out of nowhere, told nobody he had cancer. He's got a new book that he was writing just before he passed away, Getting to Neutral. I, I'm on chapter two. I just started it. Uh, but absolutely love it. And it's, um, I forgot where I was going with that for a second. Uh, getting to neutral, it takes what it takes. Um, yeah, okay, there you go. What he says is don't say stupid shit. Just don't say things. Like when, you, when you're saying something like, oh, you know, and I've always said this to my wife, if we're going skiing or snowboarding, coming down the mountain, she's like, uh, you know, she's worried about falling or thinking about falling. I'm like, if you're going to think about falling, that's what's going to happen. Like, I don't ever go into that mountain thinking I'm going to fall. Now I'm, I'm thinking, in fact, I'm the completely different spectrum. I'm thinking like jumps, I'm going to go off and cool things, which never happens. But, but in my head, I'm thinking of just all positive things. So just don't say stupid shit out loud. 
uh, you know, you say things and then they happen. So if you have a good relationship with the universe and you say positive things and you throw things out there that you want um, and that you and then you work, you can't just say it and then not sit on the couch all day. I mean, you have to work towards those things as well, whatever it may be. But you got to throw them out there to the universe. I feel like I've always been very connected and I've had a good relation with it. And as I grow older and wiser, I recognize it. And then I write things down and, and uh, you know, I just see it, believe it, and then go achieve it. Okay. Hear what you say there. I, I totally what you're saying about not having these negative thoughts about, you know, hey, this is going to happen. But I got to imagine as you're preparing for a fight, you are, though, thinking about, okay, if, you know, this is what my opponent's going to do. Yeah, of course. Well, you're, and then from there, you just have to trust your instincts. You know, I've been training, you know, eight, nine weeks for this guy thinking that's what my opponent's going to do. So then when he does it, I just react, you know, you, you just react, you don't overthink it. And if things do go wrong, you just got to live in the moment. You got to take each moment, each minute by minute, each moment in a fight. There's lots of moments. There's lots of uh, swings, momentum swings, you know, you could get rocked and then the guy's unloading on you but then you weather the storm a little bit and now you're giving it back and now the crowd's into it that was a moment and, and now you got to continue going forward and you know trust your preparation and tr trust your skills you know there, this game can come full of surprises i was talking to somebody earlier we were talking about francis and ganu of you know maybe one of the biggest takeaways you could take away from that is anything can happen in this game is there something about mihail's game that you know you think could is a surprise to a lot of people well, I tell you what, man, he's very good, and I think he's got a lot of power. I think that, uh, I mean, it's proven. When he touches you, guys go down, and he's durable, and he sets a pace. And, yeah, I mean, he's, he's the type of fighter that, I mean, it's proven in his record. If he touches you, and, I mean, there's some power with that shot, there's pretty good chances you're going down. So I have to be careful. I have to be careful of his hands. I think he's got great power. I think he pushes the pace. I'm excited to test my skills against him because I feel in the light heavyweight division, I'm the guy that pushes the pace. I've got pretty good cardio, and I feel like he's the next best guy. So um, I think it's going to be a very exciting fight. And it's such, like you said, anything can happen at any moment. I have to, I know right now, for 15 minutes, if it goes that long, I have to be focused all 15 minutes, minute to minute to minute. I can't lose focus for one second with a guy like this because he's that dangerous. You know, I, I remember last time we talked, you know, one of the, I remember one of the big things you said was, you know, 2022 was about climbing the rankings, getting into it. I know you mentioned, Hey, I, I want to fight a ranked opponent. Is that, is that pretty much the mindset of like, okay, this is a fight that's going to get me into the rankings. And then obviously, you know, then it's nothing but ranked opponents. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Um, you know, him and I are just outside of that top 15. Honestly, I'm eyeing a spot anywhere from 8 to 14. Somewhere after this fight, if there's an opportunity, like, let me have at it. And I got to go prove that in this fight. You know, I got to show that I am ready. And he, he's right there, too. So I think it's gonna, it's a great fight. It's guys that are, you know, looking to take that next step in their career and, um I just think I'm the better fighter. With that being said, he, he's very good, and I can't, I can't wait for the challenge. But that night I see my hand being raised and, and me climbing that ladder, like, like you said, in 2022 and just moving up the rankings. Another opportunity to fight in front of fans as well. Absolutely, man. I love that because, I mean, originally I never imagined that I would ever do this without fans there. And at the beginning I remember, like, the crowd just – you know, they're at an amateur show. There'd be 4,000 people there for my brother and I and a couple other guys. And 
I mean, the crowd's just electric all the way up to the big show. When you don't have that crowd, you know, as they say, it kind of became the new normal. Uh, yeah. The first time was very shot. It, it was crazy. And the first time I cornered was even more wild. Uh, and then you just kind of got used to it. But I tell you what, when I fought there at Madison Square Garden in November, that was that's something I'll never forget. It was special. Walking out of that tunnel and fans, you know, slapping your hands and yelling at you, at you. It was just awesome, man. And I can't wait for that same moment. And look forward to seeing the matchup here. UFC 272 come up here on March the 5th. Dustin, as always, man, I appreciate time. Of course, uh, let me know anything you on social media. And anything else you want to mention, man? Yeah, uh, the Hanyak, at the Hanyak DJ on Twitter, um, on Instagram. And, uh, you know, I just want to give a shout out to my team at Factory X, uh, my, my agency at Iridium Sports Agency. Those guys are the best. Take very good care of me. Uh, land out performance where we all do strength and conditioning and like you said man march 5th ufc 272 i'm extremely excited t-mobile sold out crowd uh, a good main event it's a, it's a big card and a big opportunity for me to you know climb the ladder so i'm excited to get this year started man and that was my conversation with Dustin Jacoby. Appreciate him coming on the podcast. Talk about his matchup. Come here next week. Bell, a UFC 272. Of course, headlined by Jorge Masvidal and Colby Covington. Daniel, some news came out here uh, on Tuesday. And the MMA fighting headline video shows John Jones headbutting police car telling officers hurt me and kill me. And the Las Vegas review journal got the body cam footage from John Jones arrest. Of course, uh, we all remember what happened here and I'm going to read what it says in this article. Jones erupted after being handcuffed against a police cruiser and grew more agitated as officers tried to question him. He repeatedly said he had just come from the UFC hall of fame induction and accused the officers of targeting him because of his race quote, Humiliating me on my Hall of Fame night, Jones is heard saying on the video, you effing nerd, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, you effing nerd, I hate you so much. Say your name publicly. You turn me in on my Hall of Fame night just because I'm big and black. And what did I do? I came from the Hall of Fame ceremony and I'm black and I did nothing to you. At one point, distraught Jones tells the officer, bro, hang me, hurt me and kill me. What did I do? Then he cries, a black man can't drink, getting elected into the Hall of Fame, and this is what I've got. Jones begins jumping up and down and is totally relaxed before yelling, I hate you, and striking the car with his head. As Jones is led to a police cruiser, he begins to comply with officer's orders. John, you need to chill. You understand what officer said. Yes, sir, the ex-champion prize. You did it, sir, because you're on video doing it. The same officer yells, chill out. That's going to be on YouTube tomorrow, Jones said later, and appearing to referring to someone filming the interaction. Look at him. This offers a very different look of that arrest from a couple months ago. Yeah, when you see the the body cam footage, you know, it's sad. And... uh, you know, this is a situation where, again, you know, according to the Las Vegas Review Journal, remember this was when he's being detained and it was the suspicion of domestic violence after a security guard at Caesars Palace noticed his fiance with a bloody lip and, and blood on her clothing. Uh, this was an instance of, of Jones getting uh, profiled because he was, you know, publicly drinking. This was a, a much more serious uh, arrest. And when you watch this video, it's very sobering and sad. Um and yeah, I mean, 
it, it's a tough thing. And, and with, with John, I mean, you just hope that he can get in a better place. But he's had so many issues, and it's very sad because he is one of the greatest athletes in the history of our sport. And it's sad when someone like that consistently gets in their own way with these types of incidents. And one can only hope moving forward he never experiences something like this again and never makes a, a bad decision like he has in the past. It, it just it wonders what has been the private interaction between Jones, the, the inner circle of John Jones. You know, were they aware that this is what John said on the night of his arrest? And I, I think there, there's, for me, there's more concern about, um, about John and and whether, you know, whether he should be fighting or not. Uh, you know, there, there there would seem to be that there there's something going on there. Yeah, there is, and this is an instance where emotions are all over the place. You you would assume there are, are some things influencing him at the moment, whether it be alcohol or or something else. So this obviously isn't him at his normal. This is him at, a, at, a, at an all-time low. And when you are at an all-time low, you say and do stupid things that you regret. But certainly, uh, some of the language he used and things he said have to be troubling, especially if you're a friend or a family member. And it's important to try and do your best to help that person, even if they are self-sabotaging themselves. I, I just saw a tweet as we're recording the show. Uh, Luke Thomas quoting the tweet from uh, Adam Hill, who's a reporter with Las Vegas Journal Review. And, and I think this sums up, I, I think, a way a lot of people is. And, and Luke just tweeted, hard to watch, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And, and I yeah. think that that is a, a one way to kind of sum it up. It's hard to watch, you know, and, and it's hard to watch when you, you think of a guy who, I mean, look, he's, when you talk about, greatness inside the octagon. John Jones is a poster of that. 100%. I, I mean, I remember hell, I, I think it might have been Aviv Gozali two weeks ago who said to me, he's like, he's like, when it comes to John Jones, he goes, I idolize what he does in the cage, not out of the cage, because what he does in the cage is, is special. And I, I think me and you talked about this a, a week or two ago on the podcast of there's a lot of people that have been drawn to mixed martial arts over the last year and a half, two years that their view of John Jones may be this version of John Jones, not the John Jones we've seen make, you know, countless UFC light heavyweight title defenses. Yep. Yep. And and he's been acting like this for a very long time and maybe he spent more of his time uh, since he's been super famous in these types of situations than not. I mean, it's when you go back to the the incident where he hit the lady who was pregnant in the car. I mean, there's been so many incidents like that, and it's just sad. Look, if we ever do see John in the octagon, and it, it appears that his new team is fight ready, it's going to be interesting to see how how that fight ready team, you know, what kind of changes do they potentially make to his game. You know, do we maybe see more of a a wrestling base? You know, with Henry Cejudo, who I mean, look. Henry Cejudo could go down as a coach of the year this year. Yeah, he's definitely started the year off great. But by the he's way, uh, did you see Diego Sanchez um, uh, say that he turned down uh, seventy he, that BKFC offered him seventy five thousand dollars more, but he still took the Eagle FC uh, contract. 
Yeah, I mean, it makes sense when you look at the damage that some of those guys got at Knucklemania, too. Dude, hey, I was, uh, God, I, I forget whether I was going on my Facebook timeline, my Twitter timeline, and maybe it was my Instagram timeline, one, one of these timelines. And I was like, if you thought of what people probably perceive a bare knuckle, they put out this picture where it's uh, a shot where you see Mike Perry and basically him spitting blood out of his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, that, that fight was bare knuckle personified. Both of those dudes. And they put on a war, and yeah, that's bare knuckle boxing in a nutshell. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, look, they they have there there is definitely an audience there. there there's no doubt about it. But yeah, yeah there it, is, it, there is. I still can't believe he brought a baseball bat to a press conference. Yeah, like that is something I would expect for like I don't even know if the WWE he would go that route. Like, if they're doing nah. a press conference for WrestleMania, I just don't see them bringing his thing out. I know he's not in WWE anymore, but bringing him out with a bat. I just can't see them doing that. Yeah, me neither. It's so damn strange. So damn strange. I mean, but. like, I couldn't imagine Brock Lesnar rolls out, you know, whoever Brock wrestle is wrestling at WrestleMania. I can't imagine just Brock rolling out with some farm tool. Would that be would that be a good way to, like... Yeah, like a shovel, a shovel. Yeah, and uh, Mike Perry is one of one. Yeah. Yeah, that, he, he's getting the bag, bro. I'm just saying, he's getting the bag. God bless yeah, him, bro. I, 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 I know a lot of people. I think don't want to believe it, but he's getting the bag, bro. Yeah, bare knuckles, bare knuckles dishing out money, as Diego Sanchez let us know. Get the money while you can. Yes, sir. Because that is one of those things I do wonder: is what is bare knuckle five years from now? Like the crazy thing is, like. I, I saw a, a photo come up on, on uh, my Facebook timeline because I know it's my Facebook because I'm friends with him on Facebook. You talk about old school Bellator nostalgia. Mike Richmond versus David Rickles is happening oh. in bare knuckle. Oh, my gosh. Two, two, all, two Bellator OGs. God, I feel like that fight's not going to go well for David Rickles. Yeah, no, nah, Richmond's stand-up is pretty dope. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He, Richmond started his bare knuckle journey over with the uh, the English version of it. Yeah, he was the guy talking about the differences. I remember that. Yeah, because it, it's more, there's more going to the body in the uh, English version as opposed to in, in the U.S. version. It's it's very much headshots. I mean, it, it's it's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you got to think Richmond's got to be a heavy favorite in that fight. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to imagine, you know. Um, God, I forgive that. There was a fighter I asked recently. I said, would you do bare knuckle? And he's like, hell no, man. Hell no. I've got, I forget who it was. It might've been Chris Curtis. I'm sure that, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with, again, you watch knuckle mania too. And these fighters have significant damage early on, on their Bro, face. especially. Uh, by the way, Chad Mendez looking jacked. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm sure it's all natural, but yeah, he, he looks it, great, man. Interesting thing about him, um, I don't know if you saw this, uh, Fight TV brought in the Schmo to do interviews for that one. Mm-hmm. And Chad Mendez admitted that he's actually still under UFC contract. The UFC is letting him, they they allowed him to take a bare knuckle deal. Wow, that would be strange to see him back in the UFC. And he basically said, he's like, yeah, he essentially said they're, the UFC just not paying me enough. Which tell, yeah. tells me, you know, I mean, he, he threw out some number that bare knuckles paying him. I, I find that number hard to believe. Yeah, but who knows, man? Who knows? You, you, you hear those Diego Sanchez numbers, and 
He might be spot on. Man, I, that the Diego thing, man. I just think that's gonna end bad, but bro. Yeah, yeah, I do too. It, that's him. Him versus Kevin Lee is like in two weeks. That's crazy, man. March eleventh. Crazy. It's crazy. We'll talk about it and we'll probably watch it. Bro, it's crazy. It's almost March. Yeah, man. Time's flying. Like I feel like it was February first, like the other day. Yeah, I feel like it was January first the other day. Yeah, man. Then yeah, th- th- yeah this, this year is flying by so fast. You know, hey, look, July can't get here soon enough. That, that's all I'm saying. Uh huh. That's more football. I'm, I'm ready for training camp, bro. Yes, sir. I'm yes, ready to be out training camp, sweating my ass off. Hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way to do it, bro. You know, ready for some road trips. Yes, sir. <laughs> that, that that's probably the the thing I look forward to the most is the road trips. Just being honest about it. Just being honest, you know. It's all about the memories before the games and after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, got spent a lot of time in airports this season. Let's just say that. Yeah. Got spent a lot of time in airports with uh, flights getting delayed. Yeah, that's yeah. always fun when you look on that app. Oh, your flight's been delayed another hour. Huh? Order up another drink. I guess I just yeah. And mo- bro, most of these airports, man, it's all like you order on the app and now they just deliver it to you. Wow. That uh, that's dangerous. That's absolutely dangerous. If you if, I, if I, on my phone, I don't even need to talk to someone to get my alcohol. Oof, ain't cheap, bro. No, sir. I know that's true. That's damn true. I forget what airport it was. It was either the DC or New York airport. Uh, a Stella. It was a tall boy Stella. It was like sixteen bucks. Holy crap! <laughs> Holy crap! You gotta you gotta take a loan out just to get a beer. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah, not cheap, bro. Not cheap. No, sir. That's why we make the big bucks on the podcast. <laughs> exactly. We do make the big bucks here. But uh, but that is going to do it for this edition of the MMA Report Podcast. Of course, new episodes come out every Wednesday on your favorite podcasting platform. Do want to thank my guest, Jonathan Pierce, Mario Batista, and Dustin Jacoby, all coming on this week's edition of the show. Also, be sure to keep it locked to the MMAReport.com all week long. Uh, do got some interviews that will be coming out over there as well that are not a part of the podcast. So let's go wrap it up for this edition of the MMA Report Podcast, which you hear every Wednesday on your favorite podcasting platform and radioinfluence.com. 